Welcome to Talk Time with Max Contact, the podcast where we talk about the latest contact center and customer experience, industry news, and insights. Join us as we welcome industry experts, discuss actionable strategies you can apply to your business, and help professionals like you on your path to long-term career progression and success. I'm your host, Sean McIver. Hello and welcome. I'm joined today by Mohammed Safter. He's a successful people manager with over 20 years of experience managing global teams and projects. He has proven expertise in driving exceptional commercial and CX performance alongside executing projects and continuous programs of improvement across multi-channel and international contact center operations. His BPO and contact center experience include companies like Dell, Microsoft, Sky, Vodafone, Sainsbury's, and multiple sectors such as telecoms, utilities, technical support, retail, finance, and travel. Welcome, Mohammed. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me on the show. Not a problem at all. It's great to be able to talk to you. So I'm going to jump straight in. In your current role at the moment, you're head of customer excellence at Prime Secure Plus. It's a company providing security services and personnel through the UK for construction, corporate and void property sectors. How did that happen? What drew you to the organisation? So after spending over 25 years in, in the contact centre industry, I felt very, very comfortable that I was ready for the next step. I was ready for a challenge. And one of the things that I was really keen to make sure that when I did make the next step was to move into a company which really, really took customer excellence and customer service seriously. That's one of my passions and I wanted to ensure that that was something I could continue to do to build on the experience that I have with working with multi-global companies. So when I met Martin Edwards, the CEO, one of the things that struck out to me very, very clearly, very quickly was how much importance the company had put on to customer excellence. So not only was this going to be as a role that was there to support customer excellence projects, but it was going to sit within a senior leadership team. It was going to be the voice of the customer. And again, more I spoke to, again, the MD as well, Kevin, again, the passion that these that the board members had for investing in a program and a team that would solely ensure that, that we have customer ambassadors in the company. Another element that was really important to me was when Julie, like the sales director, mentioned you know, her value proposition. And there were three things that she mentioned when discussing our products or any service with the customer was, let's think about, is it green? Is it smart? Is it healthy? And I thought that was really an amazing offering in a sense. And that's it's a very generic offering, something that's so simple and it's translatable across any industry. We totally have now appreciate how important uh, well-being of our employees are along with our customers. So having that integrated and built into the offering was so important to me along with, is it smart? So we're not just taking that customers as a one-stop shop, but really giving them a full end-to-end experience, a really 360 value proposition. And of course, is it also along with being smart? Is it green with carbon net zero targets as well? And with even individual customers now thinking seriously about recycling, thinking about the footprint. So absolutely, all these elements just made it a bit of a no-brainer for me. So as much as it was quite a leap for me, it was an exciting one, you know, one that we were just at the beginning of the journey. But I'm very, very optimistic that with the team that we built and the products and services that we have, that we're on the right tracks. Excellent. I love that you made mention of those kind of three key components as well. I think that but certainly it's interesting to hear what drives people or pulls people towards a particular role or business. And it's different for everybody, but it's always interesting to hear what those core drivers are, almost those those 
career values, if you will. It's always interesting to hear what those are. I'm going to touch on something that you said during um, that opening. You mentioned around customer excellence. I guess my first question to really open this up is, how do you define customer excellence? That's a good question. And the reason why we talk about customer excellence at Prime Secure, I think customer service has become, it's kind of like an overused word, and, and maybe everyone has different views of what a customer, just the general customer service means. Is it simply servicing the customer? Whereas we're looking for something to go above and beyond that. So for us, customer excellence is where we're able to really create brand ambassadors. So it's what Apple users are. It's what Amazon users are. It's what Netflix potential users are. It's about brand ambassadors. And that's when, when you know you've reached customer excellence. It's the best in class regards to the technology and the products that you're offering. It's best in class with regards to the well-being and the engagement of your employees. And of course, finally, it's providing, it's ensuring that the customers that interact with you, you're not just taking a box for them, but they go away that satisfied that they want to talk about and discuss the experience that they've had, just in the same way most of us talk about negative experience. So, you know, to kind of have that same motivation to talk about the, the positive experience that they've had with the interaction with our company. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I suppose the parallel to that is, so you've got customer experience and customer excellence. And it's interesting when you look at the overall customer journey, of a customer, what tends to happen or what happened traditionally, shall we say, is that customer experience and customer excellence was always focused at the onboarding point or at the opening point of a customer journey. And then that customer journey kind of tails off and then eventually you get to a point where you're leaving that business and then it wasn't fantastic. Then there was a huge focus between 2000, 2010 on the realization that retaining a customer is cheaper than acquiring a new customer. And so what we've now got is this almost golden gate double spike on that graph of your joining and leaving the company, but this lull in the middle. Is that something that you would, I'm positioning this in an interesting way. Interesting. Is that something that you would agree with? And how can we look to identify and lift that kind of central dip? What things can we do thinking about the customer journey to lift that central dip? That's a great question. And you're right. Um, there definitely has been a movement, first initially, appreciating the onboarding and your know, deals for new customers. But I think Sky, one of those companies that definitely in my experience, we started to focus on providing deals and offers on for existing customers for actually rewarding loyalty, and which is happening more and more. I'm sure the retail with their store cards is definitely doing that. But I think what a lot of customers do see is when joining a comp- new company is because of the offer they received. But when they go to leave, they're not eligible for those same offers. I think what we need to do is probably take a step back and look at the firstly the employee journey as well. And we'll be discussing customer uh, customer journey here. I think. What we're able to do is if, if every employee that was dealing with those calls felt that they were, a, they were actually an ambassador for the customer and that they also felt fulfilled in the day-to-day job, I think that would automatically allow the company to have a, an individual there that would be almost turning around that conversation with the customer. So when a customer is calling up about a billing issue, yes, it's a billing issue, but that is a detention issue that you rather when the customer leaves that company and then you offer make the offer. So they see the customer's offering as calling in a refund issue or delivery, products not arrived on time. So we need to educate and uplift the offering and the skill set of our employees and our colleagues 
so that every conversation is a turnaround conversation. Every conversation is one where we're bringing value to that customer. So therefore, that, that rhythm, that operation rhythm continues to exist. And it's just not there at the beginning and at the end. And I sometimes think maybe that the reason why that happens is you have really strong sales force with the skills equipped at the start of the conversation. And you have really strong retention advisors with the right technical skills and the right system accesses, with the correct processes there to save the customer at the end. Unfortunately, the customer service agents in the middle don't have access and they need to transfer you to another department and need to take another company, etc. So whereas we, we lose the customer's um, engagement. I think you've touched on something really important there. And it's actually, it's the combination of the access to the tool set and also the staff themselves across that journey. Ambassadors for a brand and ambassadors for a company, absolutely at that first touch point, and ambassadors for the brand, absolutely at that end point as well. But I think in the middle, it's easy to lose that ambassadorship, if you'll forgive the coining of a term. And I think that that's a really key thing. So off the back of that then, thinking about smaller companies, using that as our opener, where you'll have someone, maybe, you know, 50 to 100 staff, the exposure to the customer is greater or more likely because you'll have cross-functional roles where you may be a salesperson today, you may be a retentions person tomorrow, and you may be a customer service continuation agent through the center of that journey. And so within a smaller company, it's easier to encourage ambassadorship. Within a larger organization where you've got hundreds, maybe thousands of staff, how do you scale up that customer experience and ensure customer excellence? Are there mechanisms you can utilize to scale up to still provide customer excellence at a larger organization? Absolutely. And there's certainly, from my perspective, what I've done historically is use three pillars. And the first one is strategy. Secondly is culture. And thirdly is governance. So you made a great point with regards to with the smaller companies easier to eyeball each other and to have that close-knit understanding and awareness and potentially to create that culture that you require. So with regards to larger companies, is the strategy side of is onboarding all the senior stakeholders. I mentioned earlier the reason why I felt so comfortable moving into Prime Secure was because of the kind of engagement and buy-in from the director, you know, from the CEO. So from a strategy perspective, firstly, we need to engage all the senior stakeholders across all the different departments. So you mentioned finance, IT, training, recruitment, supply chain management, everything at all. And firstly, ensure that there's a, a what's in it for them, a weapon for them. So why are we going after customer excellence? Why are we going after exceptional customer service? What's the KPI that could, that's linking into them? So you may think, oh, what's in it for recruitment? Well, retention right now, we're, we're, it's a great resignation. So that's their KPI. If we can retain staff and that happy staff make happy colleagues and happy colleagues actually make happy staff reason why we all want to work for Apple and stand in that store is because we know we're going to get customers that are genuinely mostly happy with the product. So firstly, strategy. So trying to understand what is the, from finance perspective, from IT perspective, from any department, from the senior management, what's in it for them? What's the win for them with regards to customer achieving customer excellence? And once we've established that, secondly, we move on to culture. So with regards to culture, is ensuring that when we are recruiting the job adverts are going out, there's an element of understanding and discussion of customer service and what that means to the individual. What's the communication happening around the business? Is it just a one-off messaging? Is it a continue weekly, monthly messaging? So the culture also has to be strong and linked into customer, the customer excellence and customer service. And finally, governance. 
probably not the most sexiest of topics for anyone to be talking about. But however, that operating rhythm has to be there to ensure that we don't forget. So governments around the reporting of customer excellence, governments around the, any kind of meetings being held. Sometimes we can tend to maybe maybe treat a meeting around customer service maybe not as important, maybe an NPS or a, a CSAT conversation as seriously as something more high priority within our department. But that needs to change. The governance has to be, be there. The documentation around those uh, reporting, around the trends analysis, it all has to be there. So if you're able to really kind of strengthen and build on those three pillars, I believe you can start to scale up and embed strong culture excellence. No, I think that makes perfect sense. It's interesting because you talk there about kind of the empowerment of staff and obviously the training of staff as well and kind of encouraging that what I'm going to continue to refer to as ambassadorship, attaining ambassadorship. One of the things for me is around the age or contact center universe classic of will versus skill. There are some people out there who are exceptionally good at having conversations with customers and they can, we all know who those people are. They can talk behind the legs off a donkey. They can quite happily talk about anything and they'll win customers round or win people round, even from very negative situations. And the way in which they do that is through this natural empathy that they just exude. I wonder then, is it possible to train empathy? So I'm not a neuroscientist or a psychologist, so it's quite a deep question. And I guess your life events and et cetera, childhood can certainly dictate how empathetic you are and your tolerance, et cetera. However, I do believe you can certainly, so even if you don't have it in your personal life, I do believe you can certainly move the needle. You can certainly improve, make marginal gains with regards to empathy. Absolutely. One, and the, way, and the reason why I say that, what I found works is we do first line on calls from a team leader we listen to generally or a second line where we with the quality analysts will listen to the team leader's calls. I think we need to allow the employees, the agents to self-reflect on the interaction and on the competition that they've had with the customer. And sometimes you find when they listen back to that call, when they view that journey back, they themselves can tell, tell you where they've not been as empathetic as they could have been and where they, they missed the customer's verbal nods. They've missed the customer's just a tone, they've missed the customer's frustration, they've, in an attempt, because let's face it, in a contact center environment, you've got AHT, you've got first contact resolution, you've got calls waiting happening behind the scenes. So I think we need to a bigger picture about, are we setting our staff up with the correct KPIs to allow them to be empathetic? So sometimes that empathy, there's unfortunately there's no room for the empathy to be displayed on that call or, or, or that it's limited. But gladly, I'm happy to say that that is definitely changing now. We are more aware of vulnerability of a customer, whether it's financial, whether it's physical. We are having those conversations. We've been, whether or not we like it, we've been forced to have those conversations with the, the, with the situation the world is in. So more than ever, so it's a good question, more than ever, empathy is incredibly important. And I think with by then listening to calls, by marking their own calls, by marking their own colleagues' calls, so rather that call listening exercise happening um, siloed, it needs to happen within, and I think we need to create customer experience teams, so bring the agents into those conversations, allow them to mark, to self-analyze, to self-reflect. Because I think it's where you don't, just generally in life for me, is where, where you don't self-reflect, self-analyze, I think that's where the empathy is in there, is where you're not able to put yourself into the customer's shoes, you don't get the opportunity to put yourself into the customer's shoes. So as long as there's more and more of that happening, I definitely believe that we can just kind of strengthen the empathy muscle. Yeah, I really like that phrase, by the way, strengthening the empathy muscle. I'm absolutely stealing that and claiming it as my own. No, that's fantastic. 
You've touched something really interesting there when you mentioned about customer vulnerability, and I'm going to kind of hone in on that a little bit more. You talked about the evolution of the vulnerable customer, and obviously we're much more aware of that now. How's the expectation of the customer evolved in recent times? How has that expectation of what excellence means to the customer, how has that changed? And in doing so, how do we adapt to that change to ensure that our areas of responsibility are adaptive to those changing customer expectations of what their benchmark of excellence is? Well, I think for me, there's two elements have happened together, which has helped to really enhance customer expectations. Firstly, is that you've got really, really, I mentioned really strong brands that are setting the tone, that have just elevated the, um, the offering and have essentially forced everyone else to kind of step up and to step and to raise the bar. So you, you have companies at, like, like Amazon who will, whose return policy is amazing, who can receive the products the next day. So anyone that's in the same space as Amazon is suddenly overnight being forced to look at best practices, look at their competitors, because the customer that's coming to is going to Amazon, it is also going to, to Sainsbury's, it's also going to Argos, it's also going to the other companies as well, with expectation that when they go online and purchase something from them, they're going to receive the same service. In the same way, when they're somebody's ordering off Apple and receiving the product they're getting from there, the, the support they get, they're expecting that from others as well. So that's the first thing that has happened is that companies themselves organically, there's been a raising of standards. Secondly, I think with the internet, I think general awareness of humanity and of mental well-being, of the global climate issues that we're we experiencing, as I mentioned earlier about technology. So customers themselves, regardless of whether or not they didn't interact, whether they interacted with these brands themselves, are more aware of what to expect or, or what the kind of lifestyle that they want. So we talk about the industrial age, I mean, you know, talk about the information age. So the, our, so the customers and employees are changing. No longer they just wanted to, get, to have a salary and just to, to, to survive. Customers want to thrive now. Customers want to have experiences. So regardless of the product they're dealing with, just generally the lifestyle, we're also, I appreciate we're going through economic uh, turbulence at the moment, but a lot more, our children's children are a lot more economically, um, more comfortable than they were. So what they're looking for and the kind of experience that they want to have and where they want to spend their money, they have a lot more disposable income. So with that, they're wanting to ensure that they're getting their return on investment, along with that well-being, along with making sure being more savvy about the, the, the world and, and, and communities around them. They're more aware of social and political causes. So they're wanting to deal with a brand that's also interacting with, with, um, with social and political causes that align with them. So those are also drivers. It's a lot for a company to take in. So I don't want to scare anyone from thinking, is it ever going to be possible to make a customer happy? Think, you know, trying to bring all that in. But I think we have to appreciate that whether or not we like the sound of that or not, the customer demographics and the needs and their wants and expectations are evolving, are changing. So we certainly need to look at our process. So you asked, you know, how, what do we do and how do we cater for that? We need to start looking at our customer journeys. We need to start to personalizing those customer journeys. That's what customers want. Customers are wanting a personalized service because that's what they're starting to get. So the sooner we can start to look at those processes, look at those products, um, the, the, we mentioned the returns policy, looking at the refund policy, looking at the products that they, that they have and the types of products that they have and they can personalize and they can start to kind of really deliver specifically for that individual, then that's where the win's going to be. So let's expand on that. You've talked about the building that view of the overall customer experience and understanding that. So what specific data points do you tend to focus on within that customer journey? So 
for me, I'm a bit of a data geek. I enjoy data. I think it's a great way of just analysing and slicing and dicing and then getting to the root cause of even the noise. You know, what is fact, what isn't fact. However, in seeing that, uh, what I've adopted is a massive cinema fan. So I like my 3D films. I also like 4D as well. I like that immersive experience of being in a cinema. And I think it just adds to the story. So what I've created, in fact, is a 4DX view of capturing data within customer journeys. So historically, we've used the quality scorecard. The quality compliance scorecard has, has been used really to extrapolate where the pain points are. First con- was the first contract resolution? Was their ownership? What did the call end well? What are the data, et cetera? However, for me, that wasn't insufficient. It gave a very one-sided view of that one interaction. So what I laid onto this 1D view to make it 2D was that customer journey that we use. So data points such as not just what will happen on that call regards to the driver, regards to the trigger, was it a value demand, was it a failure demand, what was this the first call in that conversation, how long did the call last, was it a transfer? So really just drilling into that journey. But then also going into the CRM, going into doing a CRM scrape and understanding what was this customer's journey before this journey happened. Is there any way, is there a correlation? Is there, from a psychological perspective, is there a typical reason why this customer tends to call again and again? What are they struggling with? How many times have they they called? They may have become upset with this one call regards to a a return, but if they've had an issue with a bill four weeks ago, they're going to bring that, they're going to bring elements of that into this call as well. So the agent may struggle. Why are these processes and the system not working to for a call resolution? It's because the customer's being antagonistic from a previous experience. So as as a 2D. The third element for me was the customer demographic. So where does that customer stay? Do they self-serve? Do they, how old are they? What kind of account do they have as a business account? So out with that customer journey itself, just layering in the kind of the psyche and the background of that customer to see if there's a connection between that area, between that age, that demographic. Are they a business customer? Do they have one account? Do they have one mobile phone? Five mobile phones? What is this that maybe driving, triggering that call into the into ourselves? And finally, the employee themselves, that's 4D. How skilled, I mentioned earlier, how skilled is that employee? Do they have the support around them when they took that call? What is a part-time employee? Is it a zero to six-month tenured employee? Is it a six-year employee? Because that will also have a bearing. So, you know, so employee who's been in a company for zero to six months essentially can't give the same level of service as somebody who's been for six years. And we need to be aware, we need to be careful of that nuance and, and appreciate that as well. So using those four, that, that kind of 4D view is how I've worked historically with companies to provide some really strong recommendations with some really strong arguments as to why we would make an improvement in a certain area and also providing them with a lot deeper insight into the behaviour of their customers. So because we talk about insight and we talk about hindsight, I believe the 4D view gives you foresight and that's why it's kind of 4D view. And that's where we need to go to personalise that service. That's fascinating. I haven't heard that process, I'm familiar with the process, but I haven't heard that process framed in quite that way before. And it's a really interesting way of framing that process because it's kind of taking it from the micro, zooming out, zooming out again, and then looking at the other side as well. I think that makes a lot of sense to me. And I'm a bit of a data geek myself. So this is, we're speaking the same language here, Safi. Excellent. So how then, so you do this piece of work and you get your 4DX view. How do you then disseminate what's useful from that and actionable change versus what's essentially white noise? How do you look at that metadata and extract out actionable points? 
So I'm a big strong supporter of sex stigma in Jamaica. So I could go back to the problem statement. As much as there may be some really wonderful nuggets and recommendations there, but let's go back to the problem statement. What was the problem that we initially, and if you have a strong enough and a well-worded problem statement with regards to the, you know, the, what we're looking to achieve, why we're looking to achieve it, what, you know, what was the problem before, ultimately that's what you have to give priority to as a, in the first draft back to the, you know, to the customer, to the client. So you're looking at understanding the problem statement, whatever data can give you the solution to that. And if you can link it back to some percentage improvements, some pound signs, that's what you're ultimately looking for. In regards to data as well, if it doesn't, it can't give you a percentage uplift or a pound sign as useful data, but you probably find the engagement won't be there. So if you can convert it into the language of the senior leadership team, you can convert it into the language of your stakeholders, that's what's going to make that, that data set itself. What I will say as well with data, sometimes I don't uh, discard all data. I think for when you have, when you go for something, when you go for a positive, say you want to improve CSAT and you're wanting to improve FCR, first contract resolution, you, I think you also have to look at the kind of opposite end of the data. What do we not want to break whilst we're doing this? We do want to do an EHT. So be careful when you're just looking, you know, we're being single-minded with regards to all elements of data that point to the KPI that you're investigating, you're looking for, and taking everything else off the table. Do leave a few other heat check KPIs in there to ensure that you're not causing a damage or causing a negative impact to another department, to some other KPI as well as another one. I'm going to follow that up with a two-part question. So the first one is, where do you stand on the automation of elements of the customer experience? And I'll come on to my second one based on your answer. No pressure. Okay. So I think we can all agree, in principle, automation is the way forward. It's absolutely something that all companies should be looking for. We're looking at efficiencies, and that helps the customer. We're looking at any process that can be standardized, that can be electronized. It's absolutely the right way to go. However, where it's where the automation is forced, where it's trying to replace the human element, that's where I would advise some caution. So I think if it's implemented correctly and implemented at the right, at right element, so if somebody's calling to find out uh, where is my delivery, that's that you can track that. Royal Mail do an excellent service. You know those kind of you can go in and find out where your, where your delivery is. If it's more what do I do about something? If it's a what question, it's a how question, that's slightly different. So we need to be able to separate the, the customer. So it has to work for the customer as much as it's an automation process. So absolutely, it's a way forward and it's definitely helping the speed of contact for certain customers. It's, it's allowing even for 24-7 access to a company. So as before you have to have a human being sitting there, you can now provide web chat and email overnight. And that certainly helps to ensure that Customers go really satisfied. That's the right thing to do. So that's what I would say. It has to be the right thing to do in the right place at the right time. And if you can tick those boxes, and the only way to check that is once it's been implemented, where it needs to be implemented, some kind of monthly check-in. Look at the customer feedback, and then if it and be ready to evolve and change that automate that process as well. So don't ever believe that once it's been deployed and dropped to step back, and that will tick the box and be the silver bullet. I don't believe automation will ever be the silver bullet. The pro- our products will change, customer behaviours will change. So I think we also we need to be ready every six months, 12 months to re-engineer the ultimate process to go on the back of the feedback from colleagues, internal employees who know, who get the fallout from that automated, automated process not working and also what customers are seeing as well. Yes, absolutely. I think those feedback loops are so hypercritical in terms of ensuring that you're a finger on the pulse, you know what's driving that and you're able to respond to that as needed. I couldn't agree more there. 
So my second part of the question then, through this conversation, Safi, so far, we've talked and touched a couple of times on things like AHT and other of the traditional end user KPI metrics. So I'm going to switch gear a little bit for this second part and just kind of, I was reading some highlights from the 2022 UK Contact Center Decision Makers Guide. Again, data lover. And it was saying that the average cost of an inbound call is 35% more than email, 78% more than web chat. The average speed of answer is almost two minutes, the highest it's ever been recorded. 99% of contact centers expect some of their staff to be remote working this year. And 98% of businesses say that AI will be important to their contact center. So I'm going to play out a scenario here, and then I'm going to basically hand the reins over to you to close us out. I run a contact center. I have my established AHT KPIs and all of the metrics that I need, the FCRs and all that sort of thing are all in place for the staff. I've got automation there, which takes off all of the self-serve incoming contact. And that leaves me with the far more complex, far more challenging conversations that it's the hows, the whys, the those more involved responses. How do I ensure that I can still achieve business productivity and the necessary KPIs for me to be a successful business, while at the same time allowing for the fact that if the users on the phones not having to deal with those shorter interactions, then by necessity, they will need longer on those interactions that they do handle. How do we get that balance between business needs and user frustration of feeling like just kind of hierarchical, you must achieve this, even as that's shifting? Yeah, that's a great question. And that's one that many BPOs or just generally contact centers are faced with on a daily basis. Are the targets the right targets for those queries? And what you would have to do there is, is a bit like the 4DX view that I kind of just, uh, touched upon earlier, is you've got, so looking at the CSAT, so we're looking at the NPS, where is the strongest NPS? And checking to see whether the processes and the KPIs that we have internally that sit within that, are they hitting the right target? So sometimes you'll find that to achieve an NPS, the, the average HT is five minutes. Okay, so, but, and the ones that, as, as soon as the, the, the NPS the dips, so you say between uh, under seven, you're looking at HD, which is about two minutes. If that's a very, very simplistic way of putting it, you can immediately start to see a correlation. And um, now, don't get me wrong, you can, that's not the end of the conversation. You then need to go in and start to listen to those conversations to understand was it a genuine, was that conversation about that particular reason, that driver, or was the agent simply just making a nice conversation, which potentially we don't need, we can certainly kind of shave away. So absolutely, so you just probably need to do a lot more data drilling to understand and correlate and justify the HD. I actually have done an exercise where we've looked at the ideal, it's almost like a time in motion of a call, where how long will it take? So you're asking us a complaint in regards to a billing query, the target is eight minutes, but we've looked at this and it's physically impossible with regards to sitting next to an agent who's saying the words what they have to say, looking into the CRM, having to go into the different databases that they have, potentially making doing a call, a transfer call, and mapping that out in micromanagement way but it's quite painful to do, but the rewards are just exponential. There's just amazing rewards at the end of it because you can absolutely justify where and when and how. Or even sometimes you may come to the conclusion that maybe your KPIs are too soft, too lenient. And there is, you can certainly shave away. And what they'll also bring out, which is, which is even more important, is inefficiencies. So what you're able to say is that take away from the agent, take away from the customer. What you're going to say is, if we were to make that process, that CRM more efficient, faster, 
So it's the CRM, so that creates another project for a different process, for a different system to be upgraded, to allow. So until that system isn't upgraded, that report isn't made to be self-serve or quicker, we're never going to achieve this target. So there are dependencies that sit behind that AHD or those KPIs. And then that's what I bring it for you. So it offers you more, a bit more um, recommendations for improvements. Excellent answer. That's pretty much exactly the answer I was expecting. And it makes perfect sense, but I think it's often one of those things that's easily missed when we think about, oh, well, if we're dealing with all of that, we'll be able to deal with more of this. And and actually, there's a balance to be had there. So I think that's important. Thank you ever so much for your time today. You're welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, Safi. And yeah, I look forward to uh, hopefully continuing on with the conversation at some point in the future. Talk Time is brought to you by Max Contact. To find out more about Max Contact and how our customer engagement software can help you and your teams provide smarter customer experiences, visit maxcontact.com and book your personalized demo today. Be sure to search Talk Time with Max Contact in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found and leave us a positive rating to help other like-minded individuals join the conversation. Finally, before you go, never miss a future episode by clicking the subscribe button and turning on notifications. On behalf of the team here at Max Contact, thanks for listening.